This is an SBC Media Partners production. Swung on, hit high and deep. Right field. Right field. Phillies fans, these are your glove stories with Murph. Check in with Greg Murphy. Murphy, got a special guest, huh? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Parks Casino Sportsbook app. And, uh, well, we're going to have a great show today because a really interesting conversation is uh, is about to unfold. I know it as we welcome in a uh, a guy who spent nine years in the big league, six of them with the Philadelphia Phillies and uh, what that magical 1980 year. He was a big part of that. We welcome in Warren Brewster, who uh, joins us now from California, from the left coast, where uh, <laughs> he makes his home. And, uh, and Warren, that's a good place to start because that's where it all got started for you. You grew up uh, out there in California, went to high school in the Napa Valley area. And, uh, well, you were pretty much, uh, you were quite the athlete in high school, right? Take us through. It wasn't just baseball for you. No, no, Murph, I played, uh, well, thank you for having, having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I was a three, three, port, three sport athlete. I played football, basketball, and baseball. I played all three in high school, all through high school. And I enjoyed each one. Each one was, uh, gave you different, uh, feelings and, and, uh, different emotions and and i to me one helped the other yeah uh to become a better athlete uh you know and it was it's uh that friends i still stay in contact with today were were people that i went to high school with and and uh and did sports with uh all through school you know even from when we were little league and and all the way up you know so it was uh Oh, yeah, it's, you know, basketball on Saturdays, you know, just uh, playing all different sports. It was just that's that's what I was, a sports net. Yeah, you know what? And uh, we don't hear that as much anymore as, as, you know, youngsters start to specialize early. But I do think it's so important. I mean, even my generation, certainly, we, we played every sport in the in end season. I'm curious, though, you're a pitcher, obviously, in baseball. Uh, football? Were you the quarterback, or did you play? No, <laughs> I was a lineman. I played center. How about that? I I had one <laughs> one uh, distinct <laughs> lack of ability, and that was to be able to run and well, or in basketball, jump. <laughs> <laughs> but I could play defense. I you know I didn't handle the ball well, but I it, it was just uh, more than anything, it was competitive nature. Yeah. So I would imagine, uh, you know, sports were obviously a big part of your life, but uh, as you were growing up, uh, when did you start to gravitate towards baseball being the number one? I mean, were you just that much better at baseball that you knew that's if you were going to make it, that's where you were going to make it? No, (laughs) not at all. No, I just, I kind of fell into it. Really? Um, I played uh, on the, my sophomore year. I played on the JV team and I was one of the pitchers and my junior year, I made the varsity and I had five seniors in front of me. So I didn't pitch at all. I pitched wow. nine, maybe seven or eight, nine innings. That was it. And one of those was seven innings in one game. And I almost threw a no hitter. <laughs> and, and yeah, you know, so I thought really, you know, I felt really good about myself. And then, uh, the next day, I went to the library, picked up the newspaper, and read where the team hadn't won a game the whole season. They were 0 17. <laughs> so they weren't very good. So, anyway, going on, it, you know, now during the summertime, uh, I started playing American Legion ball. And now we start playing more games. And now he's he has a choice. Now now the seniors have graduated. They're right. done with uh, the, the spring program, the school program. And now he's grooming me for the following season. And now I'm getting to pitch more. And all of a sudden, I start having success. I beat the team that beat us during the regular season, our high school season. I beat them twice during the summer. So he said to me at the end of the summer, he said, you know, we might have something here. So now he, he kind of put a thought in my head, that, you know, maybe I could do something in baseball, at least maybe get a college education out of it, if nothing right. else. Right. So, you know, we just kind of went, took it one day at a time. And I had a very good senior year. I was nine and three during the regular season, uh, dominated for the majority of the games, uh, pitched seven innings, pitched all seven, to almost every game. Wow. Uh, and then in, in the days where I didn't start, I relieved and uh, finished up games. So I pitched a lot of innings that, that spring. And then uh, in the summer, 
we got to Legion Ball again, and I I believe I was eight and one, nine and one, something like that. I was like seventeen and four for the whole summer or for the whole season. And and then you uh, obviously then started hearing your name at least being talked about at that point because uh, soon thereafter, the San Francisco right. Giants drafted you, right? Right, right out of right. high school. Right. They drafted me out of high school real low. I was what they call in those days a draft and follow. And they were very, very instrumental in my career. They, you know, they advised me that, you know, you're not ready to sign, go back to school, just keep going in college. Now you're going to face good competition in college uh, and then just go from there, take it one step at a time. So now I played one year at Napa Valley College and I got to know the scouts and uh, so I could go ask them questions and talk to them and carry on conversations with them. And the one thing I did was I asked who is the best pitching coach in California, Northern California, anywhere in the year, who's the best pitching coach. And every one of them said the same thing. Bob Bennett at Fresno state is the best. Wow. And, and they were a hundred percent correct. He, he, I, I got him on the phone. I called him, told him who I was. And he said, give me a couple of days to find out who you are. And I'll get back to you. So he got back to me on Thursday and said, have your parents drive you down Saturday. We have a doubleheader. Um, and Fresno was three hour drive, three hours from my house. So we left at like five, five thirty in the morning, got there at nine. And uh, he has this all American third baseman take me around the campus and show me the school. You know, the last thing this all American third baseman wants to do before he gets <laughs> ready to play a doubleheader in 85, 90 degree weather. You know, so uh, I got to see the school, looked at the campus, and then he said, come and throw for me in the bullpen. So I threw for him. And after I was done with my bullpen session, he offered me a scholarship. Wow. Yeah, you know, so it, I it, basically it, recruited myself. Yeah, and I was going to say, it takes a lot of maturity, you know, to, to first of all, you get drafted. It's, a, it's every ball player's high school dream. You get drafted out of high school. Right. But uh, you had the wherewithal to know, okay, I, I, I still need some – some fine tuning before I go. Oh, I had and, no clue what I yeah. was doing. No yeah, but, clue but in the world. What where I did that doing. come from? I mean, is that mom and dad telling you that, uh, that, oh, know, no. Hey, let's go this. look for the pitching coach. No, or? no, I did this all on my own. Wow. But, well, but, well, my, you know, I think more than anything, my high school coach helped me because okay. he said, I think we got something here, you know? So if I've got something, then how am I going to develop it? I have no idea what I'm doing. No clue in the world. Right. And, and, um, Bob, took me from being a four-seam guy to a two-seam guy. And I can remember distinctly, um, I, I didn't transfer in until in January. So I started the season and I didn't have a fall program to go with him. Well, the next year we went, I got to go through the fall program with him. And he said, uh, we're going to teach you a sinker. And I said, what's that? I had no <laughs> clue what he was talking about. And he ch completely changed the dynamics of my wow. pitching from a four-seam to a two-seam. And uh, that's how I made a living. I could make the ball sink like crazy and, and get a lot of ground balls. And that was my niche with the Phillies was to come in or my entire career was to come in with people on base, throw one or two pitches, get ground ball and get out of chance. Yeah. And you did that time and time and time again. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but I, I'm right. curious still to, to kind of pick away at this because uh, so after your first year of collegiate baseball drafted again by the, right, by by the, the Giants Mets. again, you no, the Giants drafted me when I was still in junior college. They drafted okay, me twice in, the, at the, in junior college. One at high school, one at the junior college, and the Mets drafted me out of Fresno State. Yeah, and and out of you said no to the Mets because they're the Mets. That's that's well, what no, fans. That's what we think. But <laughs> no, 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 no. I had nothing to do with that. It was I wasn't ready. It was I. I had been with Bob for just that that's that spring season, right. and I I was not anywhere close to being ready to play pro ball. No, so I, I needed another full season under his tutelage to get where I needed to be. It's it's really interesting to hear, you know, just how self-aware and uh, that you were at a young age because, you know, most of us are not that self-aware. Uh, you know, right. we think we can do it all. We think we're ready to go and take everyone uh, uh, prisoner. But uh, but you really right. understood what you needed right. to get right. to that next level. And you eventually right. get there. You eventually get right. drafted by the Phillies. Right. And go into professional ball. So take me, take me to that. How different was professional ball for you with the tools that you now had in your toolbox uh, than, than the collegiate game? Well, the one thing, the, the, and the biggest thing my, in my advantage in, in this situation was back in those days, they had two drafts. They had a January draft and a June draft. 
Right. So I got drafted by the Phillies in the fourth round in the January draft. So now the year before I went to uh, Peoria, Illinois and played in a uh, central uh, Central Illinois collegiately. Between the end of my college season, which was about the 8th or 10th of May, to the 1st of June, I had three weeks where I didn't have anybody to work out with. So I got out of shape. Now I had to get back in shape as I was playing games in Peoria. And I said, if I sign professionally, I'm not going to do that. I want to sign as soon as my season's over. And that's what I did. Eddie Bachman was my scout. And he came immediately after we finished on a Saturday. I think he was there Monday or Tuesday in Fresno. I signed immediately. I packed my apartment up, drove home, jumped on a plane and went to Spartanburg, South Carolina and said, okay, I'm now I'm three, three weeks ahead of this June draft. So now I can maybe establish myself a little bit and at least, at least have people look at me and, and see what they can do with me before that June draft. And I don't fall into uh, you know, the herd that's coming in in, in the middle of June. So I did that. I threw batting practice. I worked out. They didn't activate me for, oh, two or three weeks. But I was there working out. So at least I was staying in shape. I was running. I was doing the things that it took for me to be successful and and watching professional games. And then, and then the biggest thing to me, once I started playing in Spartanburg, was the the talent that I faced in college was better than what there was in the Western Carolina league at that time. Yeah. yeah. So I, and they were younger, they were 19, 20 year olds where I was used to playing against 20, 20, 21, 22 year olds, you know, so that the, the talent that I played against in college was better than what I was seeing there. So it was like a step down so I could get my feet on the ground, you know, that way. And that was very, very beneficial. But then also I was, a uh, sinker curveball guy and my curveball stunk <laughs> it was <laughs> terrible so i had one pitch you know and i didn't have real good command of the one pitch that i had so i told myself between seasons that i'm going to go to a slider and that's that's when i took off i went to the slider and i had now i had a breaking pitch that i could throw for a strike and that was that was really that that changed everything that, that so you you mentioned your your collegiate pitching coach, but how about uh, when you got to pro ball in those early days? Were there was there a guy or two that you remember, whether it be a oh yes, or a coach? definitely yeah, yes, they, yes. Bob Tiefenauer, Bob okay. Tiefenauer, and Billy Wilson were the pitching coordinators for the Phillies. We didn't have individual pitching coaches like they do today on each team. Right, they were coordinators, and they came around and they saw you go well, every four to six weeks, something like that. And Tief was more, uh, he didn't really say anything to me as far as uh, mechanics and throwing because I had that pretty much ironed out. He was more the mental, the mental uh, side of pitching. And, okay. I, and I can remember, you know, I, I had little bits and pieces during, during the minor league, uh, my, during my minor league career. And one that I remember vividly was in 1975, yeah, 75. I started the very first game of instructional and I'm warming up in the bullpen and Chief's talking to me and he says, you throw that sinker in. And he said, there's very few pit hitters that can stay on that, keep, keep their hands inside the ball and keep it fair. Everybody hooks it foul. They, their hands come around the ball and they hook it foul. And once they do that, it doesn't matter how hard and how far they hit it. It's a strike. So pitch accordingly. So I did that. So I'm, you know, I've got this in my mind. So the first pitch of the game, I'm facing a, a Steve Henderson, who was uh, the hitting coach for the Phillies at one time, uh, big time. Hindu, uh, Hindu, can do. Yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> Hindu, yeah, can do, Hindu, yes. And he hits the ball. We're playing at old Al Lopez Stadium in Tampa. And he hits the ball. It was 350 down the left field line. And he hits this ball. He hits a bullet. And it's about a foot foul. And it just misses the foul pole. <laughs> and I get the ball back from the umpire. I rub it up. I say, okay, strike one. Right. I can't let that affect no matter how far, how hard he hit it. It's the teeth said it's a foul ball. It's yeah. a strike, you know? So I learned, and that was a huge, huge, because now when I got to the big leagues, that's what I did. I threw power hitters, sinkers in, and they hit the ball over the third base dugout. Yeah. And, you know, thank God they have nets up there today. 
because I was just was, thinking the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It yeah. was scary, you know? Right. And yeah, cause that's what I did. And that's, and that's what they did. They just pulled it foul. They couldn't keep it fair. So now I had strike one and then I'd go with my slider and keep moving it, come back in and back them off the plate. I learned that I can only throw two sliders in a row. Can't throw a third one. Otherwise I'm leading them out there. Okay. And now come back in, move them off the plate, move their feet, and then go back out with my slider and put them away. Uh, yeah, it's it's so interesting to listen to the uh, how you guys go about your process and how you learn your process, right? And right. then and then keep it consistent. You know, for people who who don't follow baseball, you know, as as closely as others, um, you know, you might just see a guy throwing the ball and a guy taking a swing, but there's so much that goes into each and every. Um, decision that you guys make out on the mound and then and then the guys behind you and all that. I think it's fascinating. I really do. Right. Um, and that's that's what you have to do. You have yeah. to learn how to you, you have your stuff and you have to learn how to apply it to a big level. Yeah. And when we talk about development today, when we hear guys saying, you know, some organizations are better at developing players than others, you know, lots of talent down there, but it's it's learning that process. It's and right. it's understanding yourself and understanding what tools that you have uh and then and then using those to the to your advantage you certainly were a guy that were was able to do that right right yeah and then there's there was another uh another um instance my very first big league camp uh early in our first outing jim wright was uh came up with me, myself, Manny Sione, Dan Boitano, a bunch of us were coming out of the minor leagues on the 40-man roster. And we all got a game, like the second or third game in spring training. Jim Wright started, pitched the first three. I got the next three, and I believe Manny Sione pitched the last three. And I come into the game, I start the fourth inning, and I'm going to throw strike one. I throw strike one, and I got hit out of the ballpark. <laughs> and, Okay. So I get the ball back and the next guy hits the ball and I throw the next pitch for a strike and it's up again, a little bit above the thigh. Whack. He didn't hit it high enough to hit it out. He hit it off the wall and it was only a triple. So <laughs> Schmitty's playing third and he throws the ball back to me and I get the ball. I said, boy, I got to make an adjustment and I got to make an adjustment in a hurry. Now I'm going to take my sight and I'm going to start sighting down. So I look down, the next guy hit a ground ball to Smitty at third. He looks looks the runner back, throws across the diamond. I strike the next guy out. I keep the ball down on the next one, get a ground ball to bow it short, and I'm out of the inning without the run scoring from third. And that was one of the huge, that was a huge learning process right there. If I threw the ball from mid-thigh and down, they, did, they hit it right on the ground. If I got it up above mid-thigh, they hit it nine miles. They never missed it. I, I've told my sons that, you know, we're watching TV. Oh, my God, I just got away with a hanging slider. I said, I wished I would have got away with hanging just one pitch, just one. <laughs> they never missed it. Never. Feels like that sometimes, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was that. I'm, I'm serious. They never missed it. That's I put great. it on a T form. And, and I went through uh, over 100 innings without giving up a home run. So I, I learned the location where I needed to throw the ball and I could, I could throw it there pretty consistently. And, you know, and, and such a big part of the game is being able to, you know, spot those pitches and obviously, right. in your case, you know, keep them low. And, and uh, it, it, it just changes the way, what, what the batter is able to do with that baseball, you know, right. you can only do right. so much with a right. well-positioned pitch. And uh, right. you know, it's good. You, you, so you figured that out. So that was your kind of aha moment as you're mm -hmm. heading right. into your major league career. Is that moment right. where you said, you know, with Schmitty over there at third and Boa right behind you. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're right. surrounded by future Hall of Famers. You figured oh, yeah. it out. Yeah, that's a, another thing is I'm, I'm watching a game with my sons and uh, somebody gave up an unearned run. And I said, you know, I don't think I gave up too many unearned runs in my career. I looked on my baseball card. I pitched four years in the big leagues before I gave, an, gave up an unearned run. That's how, how good our that? defense was. You know, I mean, Paul made five or six errors a year. You yeah. know, I mean, it just, it was ridiculous. And Schmitty is in the Hall of Fame. So, I mean, yeah. they didn't, you know, so it was perfect for me. I was just a, a perfect fit with, with those guys with that in. It was just, you know, and I kept the ball down. If they, again, if I got it up, they hit it out of the ballpark yeah. anyways. It didn't matter. Even Gary Maddox couldn't go get that one, right? No, <laughs> no. Although he did, he did run down a few that they did get up and he was able to catch. Yeah. Well, he helped out a lot of pitchers, not just you. 
Um, yes. Let me ask you this before we, we, we get out of the minor leagues. Do, do you have fond memories of your time in the minor leagues? I, it, to me, I, I find it's one or the other. Guys either couldn't stand the minor leagues, couldn't wait to get to the big leagues, or other guys really kind of embraced the, the journey through the minor leagues and up. Where, where do you? Oh, no, I, I embraced the journey. I still, I, I, my roommates, uh, I still stay in touch with today. You know, we still get together when, whenever we have a chance. Uh, no, I, I love minor leagues. It was fun. You know, it was yeah. great being, you know, playing baseball. You're doing nothing but playing baseball. And it's, you're having fun time doing it. You know, the bus rides are a little, you know, they gets old. But, but other than that, you're, you know, you're having fun with kids. So, you know, you're all the same age, all with the same dreams and aspirations. And it's fun to uh, just go through it. Yeah, I, I embraced, you know, I, you know, and I never, when you're in A ball and double A, you feel you're miles away from big leagues. You know, it's not even, you know, to me, it never even entered my mind. I, I, I took it one step at a time, one day at a time and just enjoyed where I was playing baseball. I love to play baseball. I didn't care what level it was, you know, and now I get to the big leagues. Oh my God, that was, you know, <laughs> Now I'm getting to play with the world's greatest players and, yeah. and realize after about a four to six week period that, wow, I can play here. I belong here. Yeah. And, and so that that's a perfect way to, to jump into the big leagues because um, so many guys are questioning themselves, you know, baseball is such a difficult game. And so many guys are questioning themselves at the minor league level. Do I belong? And then there's a moment where you think to yourself, okay, now I belong here. Uh, so you say you got up to the big leagues and we'll talk about your debut in a minute, but you got to the big leagues and you know, it's four to six weeks before you can start to look around and start to feel comfortable that, all right, my stuff can play up here when I'm on. Right, I, I, right. This, this works, right? Well, it was, I think it was about three weeks before I got into a game. That had okay. something to do with it. <laughs> All right, so the first three weeks, got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just watched. I was just a spectator for about the first three weeks oh, that's funny. and saw some unbelievable things. I mean, just, you know, going to Pittsburgh and seeing John Candelari throw a two-hit shutout against a team that's just offensive as can be, right. watching Goose Gossage come in and finish games where you go, we got no chance of even fouling the ball off this guy. I mean, just some of the pitching is, is just phenomenal at, at that at that level. Yeah, we, I, I can tell, and you know, folks can tell just by listening that you're, you're a huge baseball fan. So just the, oh, yeah. being, being in and around the game for you uh, was special. But yes, mo one of the most special moments I would imagine of your career uh, was that first major league appearance and oh, yes. Uh, yes. against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, right. What do you remember? I mean, were, were nerves like the prevailing um, feeling or were you, did you feel pretty calm? How were you out there? No, I was, I was actually, I was pretty calm. I, you know, I didn't, uh, once you throw your first pitch, then e everything settles down. And, uh, and that was the most important thing, especially being a reliever was to come in and be able to throw strike one. Yeah. Once, and that, that would relax everything that, that always calmed me down. If I could come into the game, throw strike one, that, that would calm me down. And then uh, the first hitter I faced was Steve Garvey <laughs> and I got a pitch up eventually in the at bat. I think it was two, two or three, two pitch. And I jammed him and Ted Sizemore was playing second and the ball went about two, two to four feet over his glove and there were runners the second and third. The score was already five to nothing. That made it seven to nothing. And that was, I believe, the only hit I gave up. Okay. Uh, you know, so I, I was fine after that and realized, you know, I, that what I'd done in spring training, I just continued to do, keep the ball down, and they hit the ball on the ground. So I, I you know, had a very good first outing and, uh, and just continued to build on now you grew up in the in San Francisco area. That were, the right. Giants were your team growing up, were they not? Right? Yes. Yes. So, mm -hmm. so facing the, the the Dodgers, I have to believe was. Oh yeah. You know, that would be yeah. like a kid from Philly facing the Mets, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah. Dodgers were always the Giants' rivals. Yeah. They hated Dodgers. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> and then and then and then to play in Philadelphia and lose to them in the playoffs two times is you know it just added put salt in the wound. <laughs> right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, well, they were some pretty good teams, as you mentioned, but yes. but you, you know, you jump in your, your, your first year in the big leagues is 77 and the Philadelphia Phillies at that time are a very good baseball team and they're playing in the postseason and could not get over the hump. We know that story. But right. uh, when you when you walked into that major league clubhouse and you looked around and you saw guys 
like Schmitty, like Carlton, um, you know, and, and Larry Bowen, and all, all the great names that were in that clubhouse. And, you know, they added a couple over the years and Pete Rose and right. that kind of thing. Um, you had to feel like, wow, you know, especially for a guy who loved the game of baseball growing up, made it his passion, made it his career. You're playing with the best. You're playing with some of the right. best guys that ever played, right? Right, right. Yeah, I was I was very fortunate. And when I first got there, I stayed in the hotel on, um, on oh, on uh, City Line, uh, okay. City Line, and Tim McCarver. Well, the Adams Park, probably. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Tim McCarver and Steve Carlton were staying there also. I used to go to the ballpark. We'd go out to lunch, and then we'd go to the ballpark every day together. You know, so those guys took me under their wing. And then the biggest thing was I had in the minor leagues I had started the previous two years. So I'd never really pitched much out of a bullpen. Right. Yeah. And Ron Reed took me under his wing and taught me the ropes. He explained everything to me, how to go about warming up. Once you're warming up, go pitch to pitch with the pitcher so you don't leave your stuff down in the bullpen. Once, once you're ready, then just sit back and watch the game and, and just throw an occasional pitch so you don't leave everything there. And, and just little little things, mental side to uh pitching out of the bullpen and how to how to go about your business and uh he he took me under his wing and made sure nobody you know nothing ever happened to me i can remember uh a, a situation early in my career or i hadn't even gotten in a game yet we were in san diego prior to the, getting to la and in san diego the bullpens were right against the the side of the uh stands yeah and i you know so i was at that point i was throwing every other day just getting work in so i'm throwing <laughs> i'm throwing my bullpen at the eighth or ninth inning or eighth inning and i'm throwing my bullpen and there's a guy standing in the stands because in those days the padres drew you know three to five thousand people there's nobody in the ballpark right. and this guy's standing there yelling at me, who are you rooster <laughs> I've never heard of you. And after tonight, I'll never hear of you again. <laughs> and I'm taking each pitch and I'm throwing 55 feet, 54 feet. I'm just bouncing and I'm just, I'm ready to take a bite out of baseball. I'm ready to kill that guy. And Ron Reed comes over to me and says, don't mind him. That's my ass. He comes and does that to, every, to everybody at every game. So that, just, oh that relaxed me right away. You know, I just get a big oh, laugh, you know, and that's, that's what Ron funny. did for me. He was always there when anything happened. He always protected you know, and was, uh, what a, a good, friend. yeah. What a good a guy to be learning team. the ropes from for sure. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, he, he was, he was terrific. And, you know, the, you, you're right. And when you say, obviously, when you say that you started your majority of your career in the minor leagues, but then you get to the big leagues and, and it was relief duty right, right on through, was that right. transition pretty easy for you? I mean, certainly if you look at your numbers, it looks like it was. Yeah, it was, you know, and that, and that was the first thing I found out. So I could throw every day. I could throw a little bit every day. So that really, yeah. So it was a good fit for me, you know, and I only had a sinker and a slider. So it wasn't a lot of thought process there, you know, <laughs> so it was, it was difficult for me to go the second time around through the order. So it was a perfect fit for me. Yeah. And it's, it's such a different mentality, but, uh, but it, you know, I think even, you know, back when you were playing relievers were used, obviously used differently than they are today. Uh, right. So much less of a specialist and, and you guys did often throw two, three, I don't know, oh, maybe yes. all yeah. the time. Yeah. All yeah, the time. Four right? innings. Yeah. I, yeah. I had 14 career saves and probably seven or eight of them are four inning saves. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that was the, the mentality of and the thing that, for me was waking up in the morning with a chance to play in a big league ball game that day. That was, you know, that in just was the best feeling in the world. You know, I couldn't wait to get to the ballpark every day. Your, Danny Ozark was your manager when you first came up yes. and uh, he was very much a, a, a guy that uh, guys like to play for. And um, you know, we, we know the story. Uh, this team could not get over the hump. 79, they missed the postseason. Uh, you guys missed the postseason. And then right. finally in, in 80, uh, we know how that ends. But uh, they make the change, and Dallas Green comes in. And, you know, you think about great baseball men, and you you played for a bunch of them. Danny Ozark, Tony Russo, right? At some right. At one point. With he the White Sox. Chicago. Yes. So it, yeah. Right. Um, so tell me a little bit about, did any of those guys have a big impact 
influence on your career, one maybe more than another? Well, Dallas did because he was the farm director, you know, so in the minor leagues, you're, you're talking to Dallas on a regular basis. So there's a, there's a relation, a, a much more of a relationship there than with Danny Ozark because he was my manager, my first manager, but it was, you know, being a rookie and, and you don't say anything. You just yeah. go about your business or, you know, and then, and, and so I very seldom talk, didn't talk to, the only thing I can remember Danny saying to me was in 1978 at the, at the last day or before we went to the playoffs against the Dodgers in 78, he pulled me in the office and he says, you're the first guy in the ball game in every game. I don't care if it's the first inning. I don't care if it's the ninth inning. You're going to be in the game. You're the first guy coming out of the pen in every in all in any game. And I pitched in three of the four games. And the one game I didn't get in, I was up five times. Lefty pitched that. a complete game. Say hit the grand slam off him in the fourth or fifth inning, but I was up in like the third, the fifth, the seventh, the eighth, and the ninth. I was up the whole game. I threw a full game. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I never got into the game. And that's the one thing that a lot of people don't realize is uh, it's not so much how much you pitch in games. It's how much you throw and don't get into games. That's what that's what really wears uh, relief pitchers out. Yeah. And and they I guess they do a better job nowadays keeping track of right. that. And, and right. you know, I don't know and if that's Tony good or did. bad, but <laughs> Tony did. Tony immediately told me when I got to the White Sox, I, I get you up once. I'll get you up a second time. If you get up that second time, and don't get in the ball game. You're done for the night. Oh, how about so that? So you knew you you already knew what what to expect. He was he was a little bit ahead of his time in that regard. Right, right, yeah. He was he was very innovative, innovative, Yeah, yeah. Yes, I got gotcha. you. That's <laughs> I'm looking for Murph. Thank you. <laughs> for his time, yeah. He yeah. you know, and, and it went on with Eck and as the closer in Oakland and and the things that he did. And right, Tony revolutionized the game in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Eck, he was one of your teammates also in Chicago. Yes. Again, mm -hmm. going back and looking at some of the rosters that you were a part of, man, you played with some outstanding yes. players. We know the guys here in Philadelphia. You right. know, we talked about right. them, but uh, I, who the else? Fergie yeah, Jenkins. Uh, Eckersley, Sutcliffe. Yes. Right? right. Yeah. Fergie I mean, Jenkins. Carlton yeah. Fisk with the White Sox. You know, it just, uh, yeah, I was very fortunate. I played with a lot of great players, a lot of Hall of Famers. Yeah, and and having that seat, you're already blessed beyond belief in that you're playing the the game of baseball professionally. Yes. That's what you. But uh, then to have that front row seat to watch some of these guys, these right. uh, outstanding ball players, um, you know, go throughout their career. For a guy like you, I, I I would imagine that would have been a lot of fun. Was there a moment that you watched a great player do something that you're like, wow, I'm I'm here for this. I'm part of this. Right. Right. Uh, the Sandberg game against the Cardinals when he took yep. Suter deep twice. Yeah, that was just unbelievable. I mean, it just amazing. Just, you know, it's history. You're, yeah. you're sitting there, you're watching history. Yeah, and they still talk about it today. So, right, know, the right. Sandberg yes. game, I mean, they, yeah. everybody I mean, knows that's it. The, that's the, the coming out game of his career. Yeah. You know, and it just, and uh, to play with him and to see the way he went about his business and to see, you know, he and Mike Schmidt were the, the best two athletes I believe I played with. They were just, you know, they made the game look so easy. Yeah. The uh, the ability to do things without it looking like they're making no effort at all to do it. I mean, uh, Sandberg would be on first base, base hit. He'd be cruising into third base and go, man, how did he get there that fast? And he looks like he's he's walking right, right through the Central Park. He's just cruising right along. And the ground he covered, uh, between second base, behind first base to second base up the middle was just amazing, phenomenal how he got the balls and just made it look so easy. You know, same thing with Schmitty with ground balls, anything, shots, you know, bullets that just he would pick and just no big deal and just flip it across the diamond with the great arm that he had. And I was fortunate to uh, watch both of them throw footballs. We used to work out in the offseason. And uh, to watch Mike Schmidt throw a football 40 yards on a line, just, you know, hang a bunch of laundry on it. Just amazing. What an app, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and Sandberg thing. I played golf with Sandberg uh, one day in Mesa, Arizona, and he hit one bad shot, shot of 73. It was <laughs> one over. He had one bad shot the whole day. 
It's amazing. It really yeah. is. Great athletes yeah. are great athletes right across yeah. the board. Mm -hmm. They really right. are. Sam, Sandberg was, uh, was I think he was tagged to be a college football quarterback. Right. He right? was All-State, yeah, yeah, two or three years All-State quarterback. Right. Yeah. Larry Anderson will tell you that uh, that he was an All-State quarterback at one point. I don't necessarily believe him. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> let me take you back to uh, to that 80 team because in 1980, and, and on here on the podcast, uh, once a week, we relive a game from either 1980 or 2008 with either Boa or Charlie Manuel. So we've been going through the, uh, the 80 season uh, little by little and some just epic games, uh, you know, from the very beginning right on to the end. I think we're in the middle of August right now. Uh, mm -hmm. and getting ready to, to head into September. Um, that team was up and down for a good part of right. the year. There were, there were right. uh, weeks where you guys were six and a half, seven out. Right. And, and there was this, this expectation hanging over the clubhouse that if you guys didn't get it done in 1980, that right. was it. Right. Bye. So there was, there's a little <laughs> pressure on you guys. Right. Right. What do you remember most about uh, maybe the dog days and into September? Because you started playing better in late August, and then obviously in September, the team played well. Was right. there a moment for you? Do you remember at any point being like, okay, I think here we go. Here we go. I think, you know, personally, we, I believe on Saturday night, we played a doubleheader in San Diego. And I can't remember if we won both games or split, but somehow we took over. We had a half game lead. Yeah. By the time we got to San Francisco, we had a half game lead or fell out of first place that Sunday. And we had some issues on the field. Yes. And all of a sudden, Paul Owens and Ruley Carpenter and everybody are in San Francisco Monday <laughs> afternoon. And there's a team meeting. And there's five kids now, you know, they, they now in today's game, they do call up a lot of kids. Now it's limited, but there were five kids out of double A called up and five out of triple A. There were 10. We traveled with 35 players in the month of September in 1980. Before the five from triple A got there, the five from double A and the team meeting, and they were allowed to be in the team meeting. They were told you guys can be in this too. And the Pope started going around the room, starting at number one and Aaron, each guy out and saying, pull your heads out. Let's go. You know, enough, en enough is enough. And I think that's what kind of woke everybody up. And it just, we, we went from that stretch on where I believe we were about 35 and seven, something like that from yeah, August 20th. It was impressive. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, but that was the one time where it's, you know, wake up guys, let's go. And I, I just, love that, that story. And that story again, lives on uh, in Philadelphia Phillies lore. Like you hear about that, that right. Gary Maddox, I think lost the ball in center field in San Diego. You end up losing that game. You can say that. Yeah. That's yeah. not I, what I mean, happened, but you can say. Okay. That. All right. So, so what Boa said, what Boa told me, I think was that Pope, uh, said to them or said to Dallas, you know, years later or, or said to Larry years later was the reason that they aired you guys out on that particular day was because Carlton was pitching and he knew that the, you guys had a good chance of winning that right. game and right. he didn't want to air you guys out and then take the chance that you'd lose another. So, uh, right. you know, he was, he, he was pretty smart that, that, uh, mm -hmm. Paul Owens, you know, he knew what his right. way around the ballpark uh, a time or two, right? Yes. Yes, definitely. And, and in that series, is one of my most famous outings, at least in, in, for me. Okay. Uh, Tug didn't give up any runs in September. He may, he may have given up one. He got in trouble in the ninth inning, and there was runners at first and third. And I came into the game, and I threw a pitch, got a ground ball, double play, got out of the inning. I had a one, two, three, nine, uh, tenth. We don't score. We didn't score in the top of the 11th. I go back out in the bottom of the 11th. I uh, give a base hit, base hit, and Daryl Evans comes up, which for me, left-handed hitters, sinker away, they're going to hit it in the gap. I got to pound him in and hope he rolls over and hits a ground ball. They have him bunt. Daryl Evans is bunting with runners at first and second. Unbelievable. I run down to field it and slip because it's always damp, the fog in San Francisco. I run down to pick it up to throw him out at first, and I slip and fall down. So now the bases are loaded with nobody out. Okay. And I'm in big trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got the ball and just said, relax, just relax, and just keep the ball down. 
Sure enough, the next hitter comes up, the infield's in, hits ground ball to ball, they throw him out at the plate. Next one, infield in, ground ball, throw him out at the plate. The next hitter, I go three and one on, and I just have to, here, put it right down the middle, hit it, you know, if he hits it, game over, but it's got to be a strike. So, right. And he fouls it back. And now, again, it's a ground ball. I got out of the jam, and then I believe we won in about the 15th inning, something like that. But I got out of a bases loaded, created a bases loaded jam for myself. I got out of it. Yeah. So it was well, the key is that you got out of it. We don't have to right, talk about exactly. the creating part. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Exactly. The, the magic uh, you know, comes to uh to a head in October. Obviously, you you played the epic series in Houston, yes. which is is truly probably one of the best baseball playoff series of all time. Right. Um, all, all of those games that, that you guys played. Um, and, and again, you, you were such a big part of that. You were a guy that got the baseball uh, often in these games, yeah. you know, yes. coming in in big moments like that. Right. Um, and your, your numbers in the postseason, even when you pitched, uh, with the Cubs in the postseason, just really solid. You, you seem to kind of rise to the occasion. Right. Right. I pitched, I pitched better as the season went on. So now at the end of the season, I was always at my best. That was, that was my, my best. And, and I, what I did was to, to me, I kind of put myself into a trance to where I got the ball back and just relaxed, just, just be as relaxed. Cause it's, it's pressure situation, but you got to think you got to be as relaxed as you can, because that's when you, your ability flows. If you tense up and try to force things, that's when you muscle the ball, leave it right over the middle with nothing on it. Yeah. So it's it's something that I learned early in my career was to be able to relax myself and to concentrate. And that's that's the whole key is is the concentration. And that's what I always tell people. People ask me, boy, you know, especially at the old vet when they used to hold 63,000 people, you know, there's 63, there are 60,000 people screaming and yelling. And the game's on national TV because we're on national TV all the time. There's millions watching. How did you handle the pressure? I go. I had no clue that there was even a person there. My focus was on the glove. I got a sign. I went to the glove and I didn't know I was just tunnel vision, you know, and, and lefty talked about that. I mean, it's yeah. probably something that I got from lefty where it, it was him and Timmy and that was it. And there was nobody else there. There was nobody else involved. You, you eliminate everything else. And that, I think that's one thing that lefty taught me was, you know, you just, all I saw was the glove and I threw the ball to the glove. There was no, I didn't hear any noise, anything. Nothing, right. nothing phased me. What's it like to win in Philadelphia? Now, you grew up on the West Coast, obviously, Philly, Boston, Chicago, which you played in later in your career. But, you know, New York, these sports cities, they're, they're, they're a little bit different than, than other sports. Oh, cities. definitely. Yeah, what without it, question. Yeah. So what was it like uh, when, when you finally got over the hump? You win the World Series and the celebration in this town was like, like never had been <laughs> yeah. seen before because it right. never happened before. Right. What was it like exactly. for you guys? Yeah. Oh, for me, I mean, to, to be, I'm so proud of being the first champ, championship team in Philadelphia Phillies history. I mean, to, more than anything, that means more, more to me than anything. Yeah. You know, and and to see the, the parade, you know, after going through the playoffs and going through the World Series and and winning the World Series. But the next day, that parade was just the, a memory that you'll never forget. It just seeing all the people every all you could see was a sea of people. It was just unbelievable feeling, just just phenomenal. Feeling. Just just a great feeling to be a part of it. And when you win together, um, you know, that you're you're part of something forever. And right. I know that you guys, the the 1980 team, were all still very close. You're in touch. Yes. You see each other yes. at least, you know, once right. a year, it seems like, you know, right. like an alumni weekend and everything, right? Right. Yeah. And then I do uh, fantasy camp. Yep. So I've, I've done that for about 15 years now. So I still see Bull and Dickie and, and Marty and, and those guys down there every year. And Kevin Saucier's come, so and Keith Moreland's come, Bob Boone's come. So from time to time, yeah, we see each other um, there. You know, and Mike Schmidt comes in as a special guest at times. Yeah, and, so it's and I'm sure the stories everybody. just flow, right? I mean, oh yeah, right? 
you're right back there. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it doesn't take long to get right back there. No, um, no. you know, it, it, it's so much fun to to talk about these games and, and to hear your perspective on it. For what what I'm learning from you is you've always really been a real student of the game. And because of that, you were able to get to the place that you eventually got to. That is world champion um right. you know, postseason big leaguer uh, guy uh and it's because you you really understood your craft right 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 you know and that's i prided myself on that you know and i watch games today and, and see guys throwing 95 to 100 miles an hour and going they've got no command and right. for me i had to have command i if i made a mistake it was a huge mistake and i you know and i learned that in a hurry so that kind of that kind of guided my career so i i i had stuff and I just had to apply it and just stay within myself and not, not to try to do too much. And I had catchers. I can remember vividly in San Diego, uh, Bob Boone, Dave Winfield was hit. And Bob Boone calls fastball away. Well, my sinker is going to start out on the outside part of the plate and it's going to ride back over the plate. Right. Well, if Dave Winfield hits that ball, I'm going to hit it right in the middle of his bat. And that ball is going to hit me right in the forehead. <laughs> you know, I know angles. I, 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 you know, and that's another thing. Growing up as a little boy, my father loved games. We have a horseshoe pit, we have a shuffleboard, we have a swimming pool. But the one thing he had in his proudest possession was a nine, nine foot slate bed pool table. And I learned angles from yes. playing pool, and that helped a lot with baseball because of the angles that I pitched with. And I knew if my if I threw a pitch here the angle or what it was going to do, where it would end up as far as on the, on the part of the bat, what I'm wow. trying to miss. And, and if I'm running it out here and I'm going to throw it over the middle of the plate, that ball's coming right back at me. And, you know, and Dave Winfield, he's going to kill me. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I, my eyes got huge and I screamed it from the mound at Booney. I said, no way. No, I yelled at, him. you know, I that? mean, and there's, yeah, there's little things like that, that, um, when I got to the Cubs, I, I had shoulder problems and I'd lost the velocity on my sinker. So I became a slider and, and just kind of threw my sinker in off the plate. I, was, I couldn't throw it for strikes anymore because it got hit too hard. I was afraid the third baseman was going to get hurt. <laughs> so uh, I'm pitching and, and Jody Davis had never caught me before. It's late in spring training. And he, he gives me wiggles, fingers, change it. And I yelled to him for the mound. I don't have one. So I went in after the game to the pitching coach, Billy Connors, who I've been with the majority of my career. I said, Billy, it might not be a bad idea for me to learn a changeup. So he showed me a grip and I worked on it for a couple of days. I used it the next outing in spring training. And the guy, sure enough, the guy swung through it and said, wow, I've got something. Now I've got another pitch. So I kind of reinvented myself and had a very good year. I started off really struggled, but I went, from, oh, May 25th to July something without giving up a run. 30 outings, and I believe it's still the Cub record for appearances and in, in innings pitched without giving up an earned run, throwing this change. In. And, and now I had a pitch that I could start to strike people out. I get two strikes on a hitter, and I couldn't put them away. I didn't have put anything to put them away with anymore. And now I started throwing change-ups, and now pitching really got fun. That now it was, oh. Boy, I, I had some, something to keep them off my fastball. And, and pitching really became fun when I developed a changeup. So even late in your career, you were still learning. You yes. Were, oh, yeah. And learning. that's what I believe. Yeah. I, and I, I say that to this day. The day I quit learning on the baseball field is the day to take the uniform off. Yeah, that's the truth. That's enough. Yeah. 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 And nowadays you're imparting that wisdom still, right? You're still around mm -hmm. the game. You're, yes, I coach at Napa Valley College. Yeah. I've, I've coached there on and off now for over 20 years. I've, uh, I went into pro ball for six years, uh, independent one year in 94, and then uh, Atlantic League for a year, and then six years in the Philly minor league system. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, now I'm back at the junior college. And, and the thing that I pride myself with is to take these kids, because that's where I was. I was at a crossroads in high school now to go to the junior college now what i gotten drafted i didn't know what to do i didn't know which way to turn i didn't have anybody to turn to except my high school baseball coach that gave me some advice so i'm now at the junior college at the level where these kids are coming out of high school going i don't know what i, I don't know what i want to do 
And we take them and we bring them in, we recruit them and say, come in and play for us for two years. We don't care if we win, we lose. We don't care what we're doing. We're going to develop you as a player to send you on to a four-year school. If you love baseball, we will find a place somewhere in the country for you to play. And you will get a four-year education. The development is, as a player is, is up to you. And as far as, as good as you are, we will send you as far as you can go and we will get you a four-year education. And that's something that you will have the rest of your life. Yeah. And that's, that's how we, that's how we run our program. So, so in essence, the way we started this conversation with you as a young guy developing and learning what it is you had and what it took to be successful, not only in baseball, but uh, in life uh, right. you now have come full circle and full are giving circle. that back and, yes. uh, and giving that to the next generation. I, I can't yes. think of anybody better to learn from than a guy who did it the way you did it, Warren, because uh, that's exactly what these kids need to understand is with a little bit of understanding, some hard work, right. and maybe a little right. bit of luck involved, but but you can right. get to where you want to be. Right. Uh, you just need right. people along the way to help you. Right, right. And it depends on how hard you want to work. But it, it's there. We, we, the tools are there for you to use. And, and that's the way we go about our business. And we've been pretty successful doing it. Well, we wish you nothing but more success. And, uh, you know, hopefully this year, uh, 2021, actually not 2021, that's <laughs> yeah. not happening this year, right? right. Uh, that's happening up here in Philadelphia, but maybe, maybe by this time next year, we'll be talking about uh, meeting up again down at fantasy camp and right. getting back to completely back to normal. Um, Cause I think that was the last time I saw you was, uh, was down right. there at fantasy camp uh, right after, right. right before everything went haywire. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but Hey, look, we really appreciate you being a part of this. What a great conversation. It was really fun to, uh, to hear your stories and, uh, to, to find out uh, how you got from point A to point B to world champion <laughs> in Philadelphia. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much, Murph. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right. You got it. Warren time. Brewster joining us here on glove stories with Murph brought to you by the parks casino Sportsbook app. We'll be back with more right after this glove stories with Murph is presented by parks casino Sportsbook app. New users download an app store or click parkscasino.com slash PA and use the promo code money for first bet risk-free up to $500. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Glove Story listeners. Join me and the rest of Team Murphy for the 34th annual Bend to the Shore Bike Tour. Ride your bike to the beach and then celebrate at the finish line, all while raising money to help fallen first responders. Just log on to bentoshore.org. That's Ben, the number two, shore.org. And register to be a part of Team Murphy today. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Glove Stories with Murph, brought to you by the Parks Casino Sportsbook app. And we welcome in Larry Bull, as we do uh, every other week, to talk about that great 1980 World Championship season and we're reliving one of those games and this game uh larry i would i would imagine you remember this game simply because of how long it lasted it was the san diego padres versus the phils at the vet on august 21st 1980 and uh, five hours and 13 minutes of baseball that that day and night for you do you remember that i remember the length of the game i remember that uh we had a bunch of opportunities. Um, we fell behind. We went ahead. They tied it. Uh, I remember the two two pitchers in particular, and I'm sure you're going to get get to that. But the guy in particular was San Diego receiver who did a tremendous job for them. But uh, it was a game that I remember being out there a long time because it started out as a day game. It was very hot, and. Uh, very tired at the end of it, Murph. <laughs> <laughs> but, but at this part of the season, I mean, these are big games for you guys. We, when we yeah. last talked, you guys had won on August 11th, and you were six games out of first place at the time. But then you matched your longest winning streak of the season, which was six games, and you went on to win nine of your next ten. So when this game started, you were one and a half games behind Pittsburgh 
for the East. So you close some ground, four and a half games. Montreal's right on your tail. They are two games out. Uh, you have Bob Walk on the Hill for you guys. Rick Wise at the end of his career pitching for the Padres. I mean, Phillies fans will remember Rick Wise in a Phillies uniform. He was at the end of his career, certainly at that point. But uh, what do you remember about Rick Wise? Well, I, I got to play with him, uh, I think, two years, 70 and 71. Very competitive. He was a good athlete, you know, and the people don't realize that the time that trade was made, it wasn't as lopsided as everybody thought it was going to be. You know, Carlton obviously turned out to be a Hall of Fame pitcher, but yes. uh, Rick Wise could do it all. He was a good athlete. He could hit. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody knows about the no-hitter uh, that he threw against the big red machine. He had two home runs, but he was, he was a tough pitcher. He wasn't overpowering. He had all four pitches, and uh, it was towards the end of his career at that time. So uh, we were fortunate that we didn't face him at, at his peak years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no <laughs> doubt. All right. Well, it pretty quickly it was evident that it was not going to be Bob Walk's day. In the first inning, he had a leadoff walk followed by another walk, a couple of stolen bases. Then Jerry Mumphrey would single to right, scoring two to make it uh, two nothing right out of the chute for uh, for the Padres. The next batter, Gene uh, Gene Tennis, would triple, and it was three nothing after one half inning. But in the bottom of the first, Lonnie Smith leads off the game with a double to center field, scores on an error from the shortstop. Do you remember that? play so he, he doubled and then what they threw it away is that what happened yeah yeah Ozzy Smith threw it away and you know I look back uh at, I to get some uh, memory refresher refresher yeah. but Ozzy had 18 airs that year wow that was a lot of airs for him but you know in all fairness to Ozzy the great range he had he thought he could make every play throw from left field in center field he catch balls and it was one of those things where he threw the ball away he also had an 0 for 8 that day so it wasn't a good it was a long day for Ozzy on that particular day <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Then as Phillies fans, we'll take it because uh, he yes. could also turn the game on the other way, defensively and offensively late in his career as well. Uh, Schmitty with Homer. So right back in it, you guys were a three to two. So top of the third, Dave Winfield singles to right. Then Willie Montanez doubles to right. Runners on second and third. A wild pitch allows Winfield to score. Then Jerry Mumphrey walks. And that was it for Bob Walk. He was done for the day. Randy Lurch would come in, get a double play, 6-4-3, which you guys uh, did quite often. After right. three innings, though, 5-2 Padres. Schmitty would homer again. Thank God for Schmitty in this one early on. Made it 5-3. But, uh, you know, you guys had been playing so well. And, you know, hot afternoon game. Pretty easy for you just to roll over and say, all right, we'll get him next time. But that wasn't the, the nature of this team, was it? No, and, and we knew we were running out of games. You know, you start going into August and that, and, and you're still chasing. Uh, eventually, you get worn out. But we, we, we seemed to hit that hot streak at the right time, Murph. And it was a momentum game, obviously. When you play that long and you walk away with a loss, it's demoralizing. Yeah. You walk away with a win. No one thinks about how long it was. But ironically, there were three guys on that team it, uh, that played for the Phillies. It was Cash. Montanez and uh, Rick Wise. Yeah. They were all ex-Phillies. So that team was a reputable team in force when you had Dave Winfield to that lineup. But Mumphreys had a great game that day. They had uh, a Richards in left field. They had a, a very good lineup. And uh, that particular day, they, they were tough, believe me. Well, I am really uh, excited to hear about this next part because in the bottom of the sixth, you hit an inside-the-park home run. Um, and I, so take us through that because, you know, they can – they have personalities all on their own. How did it How did it play out for you? It, well, it was um, – uh, Richards was in left and Mumphreys was in center. I hit a ball in the gap in left center. It was off Rick Wise. And Richards got to the ball. He dove, and, and Mumphreys was coming from center with momentum going towards left. Well, the ball kicked off of uh, Richards' glove and roll to center field. So it was a pretty easy inside the park home run. But once I saw the ball hit off of Richards and Mumphrey couldn't stop fast enough and the ball had enough momentum to keep rolling into center field, I knew I had a home run. So most I should have looked I this up. But three or four of them, Murph. I, got I was going to say, I should have looked it up. But you had three or four in your career? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I knew once, once the ball went off Richards, I was thinking home run because I knew Mumphrey couldn't stop that fast on AstroTurf. And then the ball trickled into center field, and I, I, yeah. I knew in my mind I had it. 
Yeah, you know, they say the triple's the most exciting play in baseball. It certainly is is great, but uh, give me the inside the park home run. That's always uh, yeah. Anytime run. I could hit a home run, I was I was very happy. Believe <laughs> yeah, me. Yeah, that's the way I used to hit him in the little league because I could never hit him over the fence. So that, that was neither here nor there. All right, bottom of the seventh, two on. Bake McBride doubles uh, home Lonnie Smith, Schmidt to uh, oh, Smith and Schmidt to make it seven six Phillies. Then in the bottom of the eighth, you single Boone doubles and you score from first eight to six. Again, using your wheels uh, to to make things happen on the base pass. That's that was part of your game, a big part of your game. Yeah, I I, I could score from first on doubles. I you know I, I easy man on second base hit. I score. I use my speed. I got over three hundred stolen bases, so that was a big asset for me, mm-hmm. Murph. And uh, you know, it seems like people ask me that. I, I try to revert back to that that time in August and September. I had a real good two months. Yes, and you did. It started out. It started out very innocently. We we played a doubleheader against the Cubs. We won both games, but we played lethargic baseball, and the fans booed. They they booed both games, and I remember coming in. A writer says, "Well, you guys won two. and I said, "And my quote was, "I know exactly what I said." I said, "Man, the fans that came tonight are terrible." And of course, the headlines the next day was Boa Rips Philly fans, and from that day on, I got booed every at bat, and it got to the point where the announcers, Harry, Harry, and Richie, were saying, "Please boo Larry; he's hot." I think it motivates him. And for those that month and a half, I probably swung the bat better than I've ever swung it. But I knew because of the way the headline came out, I better respond to that, or it could be a long month and a half. And that's really interesting because as I was going through the games that we're going to talk about today, I noticed how your offensive numbers really picked up. So I went back and looked and, and in the months of August and September of 1980, I think you, uh, more than one third of your hits came in those two months alone, right. you had 65 hits or something like that in the last have, two months of the season. Yeah. So you, you Chris, were, you were hot. Yeah. Chris Wheeler kept saying, says, does that bother you? I said, no, in matter of fact, it motivates me. I said, and every time I get in there now, I'm expecting to hear it. But it was one of those things where if I was a fan and I read the headlines, I'd boo too. It, but I didn't. I said the fans that came out, they left that part out. Yeah. The fans that came out tonight, they just said, Boa said fans are brutal. And <laughs> they took it from there. Obviously. As you well know, they can do that. <laughs> they, well, they certainly can. But uh, man, how times have changed. I don't think if yep. you stepped onto the field right now, you're getting booed. I can tell you that. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So it's eight, six fills, top of the ninth. Dave Winfield, as you, you touched on him, two run home run to tie the game. Dave Winfield was such a, a terrific player. Probably a guy that doesn't get talked about enough in the history of baseball, but Winfield really hit. You know what, Murph? I think if I'm not mistaken, I know for sure too, but I think he was drafted by three a football, basketball, and baseball. I think you're right about drafts. that. Mm-hmm. And but he was he I'm gonna tell you what, when he got in the box and he hit you ground balls, the top spin that he would get, tremendous power, great arm, great outfielder, great base runner. He was a big time threat. He was he was San Diego's Mike Schmidt. I mean, every time he came yep. up, you'd hold your breath because he took huge cuts. It was seemed like he was never fooled at the plate, but he was a force to be reckoned with. And of course he hurt us that game, but we bounced back. We got great. We got great pitching from Knowles and Saucier that game at the end. So, uh, but, but Winfield was definitely a guy you didn't want him to beat. Yeah. So he ties it up in the ninth and you know, we're, you're just getting started at this point because it ends up going 17 innings. You mentioned Dickie Knowles, who's our guest uh, uh, last week on the, on the podcast, Kevin Saucier, they were fantastic in relief, but you guys offensively load up the bases in the 13th, but back-to-back pop-ups get, get the Padres out of the, out of the inning Uh, two for 14 with runners in scoring position in this game. That that's hard to do when you scored that many runs, right? It is hard to do, and and, and even uh, take it a step further on AstroTurf, because most of our guys put the ball in play. You're going to squeak one through or something, but we didn't yeah. do it. And, again, I was going to bring back their pitcher, uh, Dennis Kinney, I think it was. Yep. I think he threw nine innings, nine or ten innings in relief, and I think we got two runs off of him, and he did a tremendous job for them. I mean, it was really – because he didn't have overpowering stuff either. He was sink the ball, cut it, throw a curveball but he kept him in the game and he battled. Yeah. Five hours and 12 minutes of baseball. Finally in the bottom of the 17th, one out Schmitty singles, Baked McBride triples game over Phil's win at nine, eight. Uh, you're a game and a half back at that point. But uh, you know, more importantly, as you pointed out, 
when you're going to play 17 innings, man, you better win it because it can really send you in the wrong direction if you don't. There's no question. I mean, and, and you know, looking back on, on my career and even watching the Phillies now, when you lose heartbreakers like that, that you know you should have won, that people say it doesn't carry over. It does. It yeah. carries over mentally in your mind. Yeah. And uh, but once you win that ball game, you, you forget how tired you were. You forget if you went 0 for 8 or 3 for 8. You just know you won a ball game. And at that time, it was very important for us to keep winning. It sure was. And uh, well, when next we speak, the calendar is going to change to September and it's really down to crunch time. As you said, you're running out of games, but you're still chasing from behind. Uh, and uh, this team is, uh, well, well, chasing a world championship and you're not even in the postseason yet. So we'll talk about that the next time. But Larry Bella, thanks for being with us here on Glove Stories. And uh, and we will talk to you next time. All right, Murph. Thank you. Glove Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app. New users download an app store or click parkscasino.com slash PA and use the promo code MONEY for first bet risk-free up to $500. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Love Stories with Murph is presented by Parks Casino Sportsbook app and is a production of SBC Media Partners. The engineer for Glove Stories is Chad Evans. Cindy Webster is our marketing and guest relations director, and our executive producer is Roger Haddon. Whether you are watching us on YouTube or downloading the podcast from one of our major podcast providers like Apple, Google, or Spotify, make sure to hit like and subscribe so that we can let you know when a new episode of Glove Stories is available. We'll release new episodes weekly throughout the 2021 Major League Baseball season.